0: Good morning, church. It's always a blessing for us to gather together. Uh, That song takes me back. Might take some of you back. I don't think I've ever, on my own in my life, said "Over yonder." (laughs) But every time we sing that song, we, we get to say it together. Right, over yonder stands a place prepared. And even though I might say it differently, that's our hope the hope that we share in together, and we don't just sing about it, but it's the hope that brings us here, it's the hope that carries us, not just into church, but out of church into a world where there's a lot of people that don't have that hope. And so as we open up our hearts to God's word this morning, I want to challenge you to listen not just for yourself, but to listen for the people in your life that you're going to be around this week. Because the most important things that happen in this place are the things that help all of us as we go out from this place into a world that desperately needs the good news of Jesus. And I know that on Sunday mornings... I tend to be the person who gets up and preaches, but the most important sermons that are going to happen, happen in our lives out there. And I want us to all have that sense of calling as we listen to God's word this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we're so thankful for who you are and who you call us to be as your people, and we understand We understand that you have called us not only into relationship with you, but you are calling us into deeper relationships with the people around us. And God, we pray that you would give us a courage that can only come from you as we interact with people, as we as we find ourselves in various opportunities and and moments where we can not only connect with those people, but we can find a way to help connect them with you. God, we need not only your courage, but we need your wisdom and your insight to see those moments. And so I pray that for each one of us this morning. And God, I ask that as we open up your word, as we read the words of The writer in Hebrews, God, we pray that it wouldn't just be something we're studying, but these would become words that you are empowering us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue to focus on this letter to these these Hebrew Christians, right? That's where the the title kind of comes from, that they are struggling to figure out how they're going to hold on to the best parts of their relationship with God that's always been there, how they're going to hold on to Jesus, and how Jesus is going to help them let go of some of the things from the past that they don't need to keep holding on to. But that can be a really challenging thing to do when you've grown up in faith, when you've grown up as somebody who... You know, every single opportunity you've had to gather together with God's people, you've taken that opportunity every single time that, that you've been able to, to gather together and not just be together, but to try to, to draw close to God. And, and what do we call all that, right? Well, we, we have a term for that. It's we're, we're practicing religion that we we come to this place. We want to be people who who find practices and habits and things that we can do that help us not only know what's going to happen when we get in this place, but that we can, we can rely on. These are the things we do that help us be aware of God's presence in our lives, that help us feel saved and safe. When you start to talk about, okay, what about your practices of faith? What about the, the things that you've inherited? What, what are the things that are still helpful to you? What are the things that are healthy? What are the things that will empower you to be the kinds of people God wants you to be? What are the things that you've always done that you just don't need to keep doing? When you start to have those kinds of conversations, especially with with God's people, when you have those kinds of conversations at church, you're going to stress somebody out, right? You're going to make somebody feel anxious, because we might start to have to talk about the fact that, well, there's something that you have always relied on, something that that has always made you feel saved and safe, that if we start to talk about, well, maybe that's not as important as we think it is, or maybe that's not as helpful in shaping us in the way of Christ as we think it is. The the second someone starts saying that, right, you want to be the person who gets to decide what we hold on to and what we walk away from. Maybe I shouldn't confess that for you. I want to be the person who gets to decide what I hold on to and what I walk away from. And so the the author of Hebrews is trying to get these people in church to wrestle with, okay, there was this former way that we were trying to interact with God. It's the, the law of Moses, and it's the sacrificial system And I'm telling you, as much as we may or may not understand this morning of all the ins and outs of that sacrificial system, the experience of realizing I have messed up, I've sinned, now I'm going to go and I'm going to buy an animal that's going to bear my sin and the priest is going to take that animal and sacrifice it for what I've done. And when that blood is spilt, then I'm going to, to be able to have confidence that I've done something to, to get God's attention to realize how sorry I am for the mistake I made. And then I have this chance to recommit myself to trying to be the kind of person that I know God wants me to be. So I leave that, that worship experience, I leave that, that temple experience and I feel like I, I kind of have a chance to start over. And then if I mess up again, and I'm sure to mess up again, guess what I do? I do it all over again. And I have that experience all over again. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm not super interested in watching an animal get slaughtered. You know, I kind of have a weak stomach. I'm kind of queasy. I don't really want to watch that happen. But I didn't grow up where watching that happen made me feel more secure in my relationship with God. So then when the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, look, Jesus is a new kind of priest. He's a, he's a new kind of high priest. And he, he's willing to give everything to relate to us, to, to understand us, right? And, and his experience We've got God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus' experience as the Son of God helps the Holy Spirit and helps God the Father understand us in ways that that change everything. Because no longer is God understanding us from the outside. God is understanding us from the inside. God's felt the things we feel. God knows what it's like. Have you ever thought through how... How Jesus alone is what God helps, sorry, is what helps God get to this place where there's new experiences that otherwise God would never have? I mean, I I have to believe that there were times that even though Jesus never made a mistake, that he wrestled with feelings of shame, I mean, if Paul says that God made the one who had no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, then I have to believe that Jesus had moments where he experienced shame. Not because of anything he did, but because that's an essential part of what it means to to be a human being. To be a child of God who's struggling. To feel the certainty that we long to feel in our relationships with God. Jesus gives God this This new way of understanding what it is we go through and what we struggle with and the doubts we have and the disappointments we're wrestling with, not just in the world, but in ourselves. And what Jesus is longing for us to do, what Jesus is calling us to do, and this is what we focused on last week, is if if Jesus is the evidence of just how far God is willing to go to better understand us, to truly understand us, to get it, to get us, then why is it that so often I want to figure out what's the bare minimum of what I need to do in order to understand God enough? Now, what does that mean? How how is it that we would understand God enough? It doesn't matter how much I think I, I understand God. There is so much about God that I don't yet understand, and it's not just about me being smart. It's not just about me knowing a lot. It's about experiencing more and more the truth and the beauty And the grace of God's goodness. Why would I ever want to stop learning more. Experiencing more. Understanding more. In the same way that you could be married to someone for 50 years. And they could still surprise you. You could still learn something new. It's the kind of relationship that we're built for. When it comes to our relationship. With God, why would we ever say, okay, enough, I got it, I understand it, let's move on to the next thing. No. That's why we come back. That's why we're here. It's why we keep coming back not only to church or to community, it's why we come back to God's word, because we have this nagging sense, and it's the truth. That with all that we've seen, with all that we've heard, with all that we've experienced, with all that we understand, there's more, and it's better. And it's deeper, and it's richer. So let's go, right? Let's go. So I want to pick up here in Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 18, where the writer says, the the former regulation, right, the old law, is set aside because it was weak and useless. That's a strong statement. And if he's talking about something you've been doing that makes you feel safe and secure, that's hard to hear. But he doesn't just mean in general that it's weak and useless. I want you to hold on to this, right? Because what does it say in parentheses there? Let's say it out loud together. For the law made nothing perfect. Now, it'd be easy for us to think that the purpose of the law was to make people morally perfect. And in that regard, it it failed. And I'm not entirely sure at all that that's the way God intended for the law to work in people's lives, but that is how people related to the law. This is the... The way that we're going to, if we can figure out how to follow all these commands, if we can do the things we've been told to do and not do the things we've been told not to do, then we will get to a place where we can feel like we're morally perfect. And if we're morally perfect, then God will love us and bless us in all the ways that we that we want. And you can see how as you go down that line of, of reasoning and thinking that that wouldn't lead you to God, it would actually lead you farther away from God, which is the point that's being made here because He says, for the law made nothing perfect, a better hope is introduced, which again, if you're following the argument here, right, we're about to find out what the law was supposed to do from the beginning. What's the better hope? What does it help us do? It helps us draw near to God. I'm convinced that's what God was always hoping the law could do. That it would help people draw closer to him. That, that it would give them, instead of being a set of hurdles, that it would be a kind of bridge. That it, it would allow them to experience the kind of life that, that God knows we are created to experience. All the goodness, all the glory, all the forgiveness, all the grace, all of it. But somehow or another in our hands... What was supposed to be a bridge back to the heart of God became a standard we used to push other people farther away from God. It's weak and useless, not because of what it is. It's weak and useless because of what we turned it into. Okay. Now here the argument continues, verse 20. So this better hope, right, by which we're going to draw near to God... It didn't come without a commitment, without a promise, without an oath. Other priests, right, they come without an oath, without a promise, without a commitment. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Now, this is assuming that we know how the Levitical priesthood worked and that Oftentimes, you got the job because of what family you happen to be from, right? In other words, you may or may not have actually been good at the job. That's not how Jesus became our priest. Jesus was uniquely chosen by God, right? That's the commitment. That's the oath. And he's not just a priest, priest for a lifetime. He's a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of these priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save forever those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Did you listen to the words of the song we sang, Other Than Over Yonder? I know that my Redeemer lives, and what? What's the opening line? And ever prays for me. That comes right from here. Because he always lives to pray for us, to talk to God for us, to intercede for us. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins, say these three words once for all. When he offered not an animal, what does he offer? He offers himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all of their weakness. But the oath, right, the promise, which came after the law, appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Now again, I realize that when we're listening to these kinds of passages in Scripture and there are these detailed theological arguments that are focused on a particular point of doctrine that we're not all that wrapped up in, it can be hard for us to keep holding our focus on what's going on here. But I think all of us can relate to the, the message underneath those particulars, right? The, the truth that we need to hear this morning. And, and it's this, in a world where all kinds of voices tell us that they can give us the life and the future that we want. In a world where all kinds of voices of authority promise us that they alone could save us, Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. And that when we as Christian people start to wonder if Jesus really will give us the life we're, we're really created for. If Jesus will give us the future that we're really longing for. When we start to waver in that sense, in that confidence, it's then that we need to be reminded that it's not Jesus plus anyone or anything else. It's Jesus And if we, if we don't have the confidence in that, then it's not because it's, it's not true. It's because we haven't experienced the fullness of that truth. And there's two ways in this passage that the Hebrews writer wants us to think about the all-sufficiency of, of the way that Jesus saves us, and it has to do with his life and his death. Right? On one hand, the statement is that his, his life is ongoing and eternal, that, that if our sense of our relationship with God, if, if our, our sense of having confidence of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, if it hinges on Jesus, that's great. It's perfect because he's not going anywhere. Nothing can remove him from our lives and God's life. So if we're depending on Jesus, and we should be absolutely depending on Jesus, his life to not only save our lives, but to show us what real and true life is about, the good news this morning is he's he's here. He will always be here. There is nothing that can threaten the life of Jesus. Now, connected to this is the the fact of his death, right? And I want us to think about the relationship between Jesus' life and his death because what his death accomplishes is final and universal. The Hebrews writer wants to make this clear to us. In the old Mosaic sacrificial system, every time someone sinned, something had to die. Every time, that's a lot of death. And yeah, it was the death of animals. Although they always had the fear that on the day of the atonement, every year, that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and God might strike him dead. For his sin and for the people's sin. You know this, right? They like tied ropes with bells on their feet when they went in there. In case God decided to get angry and frustrated and strike him dead. Nobody was going to go in there to get him out. They were going to drag him out. Now, it's easy for us to say, now, why would you want to try to relate to God that way? Well, they didn't want to relate to God that way. They thought that that's what God wanted. And and as you read the Old Testament, and as he's talking about his holiness, as he's talking about what it means to draw close to him, as he's talking about his power and his authority... It is very easy to reach that conclusion. But God never really wanted for us to love God and be scared of God. God wanted us to understand that his love for us was always meant to change us into people who could trust him. Even if we're tempted to be Afraid or ask questions that we don't have easy answers for. That God, God wanted, God wanted to find a way. And when we couldn't find a way in through the cross, God finds a way out. Right? Remember what happens when Jesus dies? The moment that He dies, what happens to that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everywhere else? Jesus' death doesn't keep happening over and over and over again. He gives himself, and he gives himself once for all. It's for everyone. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for everyone. And it is always available. I think there are times in our lives where we think maybe we, we were born out of time, right? That somehow it's too late or we miss some really important thing that happened. I mean, it's really easy to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and think, man, I wish I'd been there then. Why was I born now? I missed all all of the, the most important things that happened in the history of the earth. And yeah, you missed it in terms of being able to be there, but you didn't miss it because it's still happening. What Jesus accomplishes in his death is still unfolding. And his life, his life... It was never threatened. Even though by all accounts, it felt like his life had ended because of the resurrection power of God. His life was stronger than his death. And his death puts an end to your fear of death. Because not only does it change the way we're able to experience our lives, it gives us the confidence that the death he dies, he dies for us all. And it means our lives can be stronger than death too. One of the things that I I want us to to think about together this morning that I think is the the challenge that the Hebrews writers actually trying to get at with with talking about just how all-sufficient Jesus is compared to any other way of drawing close to God is to move it away from just focusing on, is it easy to judge people from the past who can't argue with us? You know to kind of feel superior to them and to feel like I wish they could just be as smart as I am. Isn't that easy? Isn't that tempting? Right. So I I realize right we may not wrestle with this idea of choosing following the law of Moses over trusting in Jesus alone to save us, but we are definitely tempted to choose doing something in addition to trusting in Jesus alone to save us. My dad, uh, my dad, and mom became Christians. As adults, they didn't grow up going to church. And the church that they ended up going to happened to be an anti-institutional Church of Christ that was the physically closest church building to my parents' house because my dad didn't want to go anyway, and he wanted to use the least amount of gas to get there. (laughs) So he didn't know anything about churches. He didn't know that he was picking a certain kind of church or not. He thought they were all the same, like McDonald's are all the same, right? So he just, whatever. This is the closest one. We're going to that one. And very quickly, my parents came to faith in that church. But because my parents weren't raised in that church tradition, my dad kept asking annoying questions about why we do things the way we do them. And a lot of the time, the answers he got sounded like this. Because it's the way we've always done it. So my dad, who didn't like that answer, would push until basically he got in meeting after meeting after meeting with the poor preacher of this church. Explain to me why we sing this way. Explain to me why we take communion every week. Explain to me why we practice baptism by by immersion. Explain to me why... Uh, we're not allowed to eat in the church building because that was a big one for them back then. Uh, explain to me why uh, we we feel like you know the best way we're going to do this is uh, you know to t- Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Like, it, just explain all of it. My dad just wanted to know why do we do what we do. It's annoying to have to wrestle with our tradition. Because for most of us, our tradition makes us feel secure. It makes us feel safe and safe. Now, I'm not going to confess anything for the rest of you. I'm just going to confess some things for me, trusting that you may relate to some of these things. But I have a hard time in moments separating what I like to do what I prefer to do, and what's absolutely essential when it comes to following Jesus and pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And if you'll let me, without knowing it, I will expand my preferences to crowd yours out. Right? I will will expand what I like to do and start to talk like it's essential that we all do it. And it gets uncomfortable when you start to talk about the difference between tradition and traditionalism. My dad used to always tell me growing up, son, I found this out through a lot of high-stress conversations with people in that first church that your mother and I visited. I think tradition is the living faith of the dead, but traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Okay, but again, here's what's always hard. We start going down this road and it's going to be easy for us to call other people traditionalists and just say there's some traditions I like. But what I need you to wrestle with is we all blend our traditions with God's truth in ways that can be confusing. And the real danger in all that is we can start to think that doing certain things the way we've always done it, automatically makes it essential. Automatically means we have to do it this way. Instead of saying, no, we're choosing to do it this way because it's our best current understanding, but my understanding of God's truth is never the same thing as God's truth itself. And I want to confess that every time I start to talk from Scripture. You know, so I... I feel like one of the things that we have to wrestle with here, brothers and sisters, is, you know, it's interesting to me that my, my parents came to faith in a church of Christ that preached to them the importance that we weren't a denomination. But definitely liked to point out all the ways we were different from all the other denominations every chance they got. <laughs> so they would say, well, you know, we're not, we're just, we're a church that happens to meet at this address. That's the name of our church. But you, you better not spend any time going over to these other churches because they do things differently from us, which means they're not pleasing God the same way we are. And once we shift our hearts into a place where we can stand in judgment of anyone else in their relationship with God, we are in a very dangerous place to be. And it's not a place we ever deserve to be. It's not our right to be there. It doesn't help anything for us to be there. It certainly doesn't help other people who disagree with us for us to, to get to a point where we think we're, we're the ones who have it figured out more than anyone else. And that, brothers and sisters, long and the short of it, I grew up wanting to rely on Jesus to save me, and the way I felt safe and secure was I could win any argument with anybody from another denomination. That, that's what made me feel safe and secure. I don't know if you're hearing me. That means my ability to argue and win made me feel safe and secure, not Jesus. Man, that's a problem. Because I can't see it until I see it, and you could try to help me see it, but I'm probably not going to be open to you showing me, and I'm definitely not going to thank you if you're the one who shows me. The Hebrews writer saying to these people who went to the temple or they went to the synagogue and they engaged their faith the way they always had. He's saying, you know what? Jesus is better than all that. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's just not essential. And if it's not essential, you better not make anyone feel bad for not agreeing with you about it. Can we agree to be a church that knows the difference between our understanding of Scripture and the truth of Scripture itself? There's a difference. We need to have the humility to say it, and we need to be confident enough in the grace of God to not worry about figuring it all out, being what makes us feel safe and saved. My best current understanding of baptism is that there's this powerful experience that happens when someone comes to a point where they don't fully understand everything that we might want them to understand, but what they do understand is they want to spend the rest of their life in a relationship with Jesus. And we get them to the place where we put them in a full-bodied moment of being buried dying to their sin and coming back up and and being raised to new life, I absolutely believe in the the power of that kind of experience. But I would never say that I have fully understood the way Jesus saves people to put myself in a position to judge whether or not their baptism experience is valid or not. And I've heard people, well-intentioned people, do that. It's not your place to judge anyone else's relationship with Jesus. Jesus. It's not my place either. When it comes to worship styles, we get all caught up in, is there a right way to do this or a wrong way? Yeah, there is. The wrong way to worship is to insist on, there's only one right way to worship and it's the way you prefer to. (laughs) I've said this before, I'll say it again. The best possible worship experience for me to have that asks me to be more like Jesus, is one where I don't get my way the whole time. I don't get my preferences met the whole time. So when I get my preferences met the whole time, it doesn't ask anything of me. Okay, I can keep going, I'm not going to. You get it, right? You get the danger of us adding something to Jesus, our take, our interpretation, our understanding, of scripture, of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. It's our understanding. It's partial. When we start to act like it's total, we got problems. And more than we realize it, we're trying to use our intellect or our understanding or our approach as as the thing that saves us. Or at least the thing that makes us feel secure that we're saved. You want to feel secure in your relationship with Jesus, pursue Jesus more. And whatever it is that helps you pursue Jesus more, keep doing it. Okay, finally, I want us to leave this morning with this conviction, right? We get to experience the better hope of the better covenant when we start to realize that Jesus is always already doing what we need him to do the most before we even think to ask. Jesus wanted, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, he wanted to set us free, from thinking there's anything that we could do in a particular way that would, that would guarantee our own salvation, right? Before we even realize the limits of that, Jesus says, I want to save you from it. Come back to me. But before we realize that our understanding of scripture is bound to change throughout our lives because we're changing and our experiences are changing us and we're able to see new things we've never seen before and that that's not something we should be afraid of, it's actually something we should chase after. Jesus says, I want to save you from needing to feel like you have it all right and everybody else has it all wrong. That's a miserable way to live and it's definitely miserable in terms of anyone having to be around you. I love that our tradition, brothers and sisters, we want to be people who focus on Jesus. But we better never mistake our own understanding of Jesus for Jesus himself. We better never start to tell other people that we're the ones who've somehow cracked the code and we've all figured it out and you're just all slow to come around. The reality is there's some things that you and I understand better than other people understand it, but we've got our own blind spots and we've got our own shortcomings and the reason you call them blind spots is you can't see them. And again, you rarely thank somebody who accuses you of having a blind spot. Jesus wants to save us from that fear too. what is it that we we need the most? What is it that you need the most? Do you even know what it is? I mean, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But I am so thankful that the life Jesus lived is eternal, that it's ongoing. And I am so thankful that his life, what it accomplishes, it leads to his death where you and I don't ever have to be afraid of, of death again. And you and I don't have to figure it all out. And you, don't, you and I don't have to crack the, the secret of saving ourselves. Because we can't. We can only be open. We can only embrace. We can only partner with God's saving grace and work in our lives. And, and brothers and sisters, the best thing about all this is you never, ever, ever get to take credit for that. And isn't that good news? Jesus is our all sufficient Savior, and He knows what we need before we do. And He doesn't wait to rescue us, He's always already on His way. We're going to sing now together, and as we do, uh, my prayer this week is that all of us are open to God showing us the difference between our perspective, the way we see things, and God's truth. Because God alone is the one who can open our eyes to see what we're not already seeing. And those new levels of understanding, that's what it means to be on the journey of being saved. And I want us to welcome it, not run from it. Will you stand with us as we sing?